Thank you for listening to this latest installment of our Unsolved Podcast series. I'm David Lydon. This month, we're meeting one of the solvers of mysteries in northern Michigan. Connie Swander recently retired after a more than three-decade-long career with the Michigan State Police Crime Lab in Grayling. She's seen just about everything in her 35 years, and at the age of 74, she decided to call it a career. I recently sat down with her to look back on her time solving crime. And you're getting ready to say goodbye. I am. After how many years here? 35 and a half years. It would be November 3rd would be um, 36 years. So. so what year did you start here then? I started in 85. Okay. And was this what you went to school for or was this kind of a second career for you? Yeah, it was kind of a you? second. I mean, I've always loved forensics. I bet used to watch Quincy, which most people mm -hmm. don't even know what that is mm -hmm. anymore, way back when. But um, I went into medical technology. Um, I liked working in hospitals and the laboratory in the hospital. So for 18 years, I was a medical technologist. I worked Foot Hospital in Jackson, mm -hmm. St. Joe um, Memorial out in Benton Harbor, and, or in St. Joe, mm -hmm. not Benton Harbor. And then I worked at the hospital here for seven years. And um, before someone that I knew from church said, hey, why don't you apply at the crime lab? They have an opening for um, a biology person. And I didn't know there was a crime lab in Grayling at that time. And um, so I looked into it and there was an opening for a drug chemist and a biologist at the crime lab here. So I put in for it, applied for it, and then the governor at that time put a freeze on hiring. So it was four years later before they finally interviewed for the position. So, so you had to wait a long time to get into this yeah, job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then I interviewed for it and um, got the position for the biology position. And, I've been here ever since. And all these years later, um, as you look back at ready to leave here, what's what, what's been the most satisfying or most interesting part of this of this job? Oh, everything. It's a, the neat thing. And when I have students that will come in and, and want to talk about, they're looking at going into this kind of a career. And the neat thing is that you don't do the same thing every day. I mean, it's different every day. Now, you may work the same kind of cases. Like as a biologist, I worked homicide, sexual assaults, child abuse. So those are the kind of cases I got, but everyone is a different story. Um, everyone is a different thing that you're trying to solve. I always said it's kind of like playing a game of Clue, that you're trying to figure out who did what, with what, to whom, and where. And so every case that you do is different. So not only are you doing the lab work where you're at the bench doing the work, examining the evidence, so you have to write the report. You have to write it so that the jury can understand what you're saying or you know the, the agency. And then you have to testify in court. So then you go to court and testify. So there's all different aspects of the job that you do. So it just never gets boring. And um, I've just, you know, really enjoyed it. That's why I'm still here 35 and a half years later. So. You know, what's, uh, you're 74 too. I am. Um, you know, what's kept you going um, and, and kept wanting to do this job? I, I love forensics. I love figuring out, like I said, who did what with them. Because everything that we do, we are comparing it to a known. We aren't just identifying a hair or identifying a fingerprint or something. We're comparing it back to a known to determine who it came from, um, what what it could have come from. Sometimes on a fiber, um, you know, some a breaking and entering, and there might be some fibers stuck in the door. We're trying to identify what garment that fiber could have come from. Find your suspect and see if they, you know, have that. So everything we do, we're comparing a question back to a known. 
Um, when you get into blood stains, we're comparing it back to a known, trying to determine what it used to be, what blood type. Now it's all DNA <laughs> that we do. But we're comparing it back to, so it's, um, I, I love doing that. I love the forensic part of it and putting this all back together. And then solving some of these crimes. Like there's a lot of crimes that are committed, especially homicides, where they depend on, on that. There, there isn't a lot of good investigation that goes on, and it takes everybody together. But a lot of, you know, forensics and DNA solves, you know, a lot of these crimes and brings, you know, the bad guy to, to justice. Is there a case or a crime that stands out in your mind that you're most proud of solving? I, <laughs> I don't know. I can name anyone. There's been several where it was a forensic evidence that um, basically sealed the case. Um, a couple that um, it was a hair that was left behind that was actually the only link that we had putting the suspect back there. And then once you develop a suspect on any kind of evidence, then then when you get that suspect and start, then it's when the interviewers start interviewing him and, and do all that, that starts um, opening up or, um, you know, we had the, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say names or not, but the Jovi Montgomery homicide uh, in Kalkaska was back, I think the mid 90s. Mm -hmm. um, the um, lady that was raped and then um, locked in the trunk of her car, which was left running in the garage and she was asphyxiated. And we developed a suspect at that time, but we always knew there was another person there just based on the DNA test and some other things. So 17 years later, this other person shows up um, on a, in a database, a CODIS, and what we, um, is the database for mm -hmm. DNA. And he's down in, I think it was Indiana, either Indiana or Illinois anyway, he hits, or the system has a hit on him and so now the investigators come in and he actually was in Kalkaska at the time of this homicide, was just lived uh, like a block away from where the victim lived mm -hmm. and everything. So, um, you know, that's a big one when you can do that, when you go back 17 years later and now identify a suspect and um, found evidence of him, actually semen stains from him on the vaginal swab, which you know, their first thing is, well, somebody planted it there. Well, that's pretty hard to plant. So, um, you know, when you actually can go back and find physical evidence that the suspect can't refute, mm -hmm. I mean, it puts him there. So, um, you know, so that's... It's kind of the one that, yeah. that's up there. I mean, how well, satisfying is that for you when you're in court and you realize that it was the forensics or it's that one analysis you did on that one fiber or that one hair that gets that conviction? How satisfying is that oh, at the end of the satisfying. case? That's why, you know, that's why we do this. It isn't just playing the game. You want to win the game. <laughs> you know, when you play the game of Clue, you want to, you know, and it is. It's just when you can, when you can help and bring, get the bad guy off the street, basically, um, that does this. And if there's something that you can do that's going to find it or help it or help solve this or lead it in another direction, a lot of times all we do is give um, an investigative aid to the agency or the investigators and we can say, you know, we may have a hair left on something and say, oh, this hair is probably Caucasian, you know, somebody that's blonde and they've colored their hair, you know, it gives them a direction like the um, missing person that we had on um, the picture of the dig that we were looking at. 
we had a blanket that obviously a body had been wrapped in. There was blood-tinged saliva in the blanket and hairs. And the hairs had been chemically treated like three different times, so they were kind of unique. And then when we got, um, this was in the suspect's vehicle, <laughs> when we got hairs, known hairs, and we had to get them from the victim's hairbrush because she's missing, so we don't know. And the hairs in her hairbrush are the same chemical treatment, same layers and everything else. So now that's a pretty good indication that she was the one that was wrapped in the blanket in his vehicle. So now you've got something to go on and now the investigators will sit down with him and say, all right, you know, we know she was in your vehicle. Now, you know, what happened? Mm -hmm. And that was an awesome case. That was, that was probably one of the... Um, better ones that came together. So. As you leave, are there any cases that aren't solved yet that you're wishing there are, you could have, could have solved? I kept saying I'm not retiring until this one is solved, mm -hmm. and it still isn't. Um, it was a missing person. Well, not a, well. yeah, she was a missing person. She didn't show up for work, and um, when the um, where she worked went out to check it, because she never missed work, and went mm -hmm. out to check on her, um, she wasn't there, her car was gone, and um, she had two young daughters, and um, they had been with the father on the weekend. They were going through a divorce, um, kind of an ugly divorce, and so um, anyway, when she didn't show up, after a couple of days, they finally called us in to go out and see if it looked like foul play or anything. And uh, when you walked into the apartment, the apartment was clean and neat, looked very tidy, mm -hmm. but then as you went in and started processing, lifted the afghan off the back of the couch, there's a blood stain on the couch. And then looking further, there's blood stains, like pushing down on the cushion, there's blood stains along the couch that, like, and we figured the head had been there mm -hmm. because there's head hairs there that are broken off, have blood residue on them. So we figured basically gunshot wound to the head being pushed down on the couch. We've never found her. We've never found her. Um, that's one I would have loved to have. Found. Never found her and never made yeah. an arrest in no, the case. No, never made an arrest. We've never found the body and never, you know. Um, and then there's a couple other ones that, you know, that were homicides and we just didn't have the physical evidence mm -hmm. to um, actually take it back to a suspect and everything. But I haven't given up hope because as technology keeps increasing in DNA and the things that we can do. Um, we're constantly going back on old cases and pulling them back out and saying, okay, what is on this that we could do something now that we couldn't 10 years ago? Um, let's look at this differently. And so um, there's always hope that there'll be something. I was hoping it would be before I left, but when you, not. When you talk about technology in cases, what's the biggest change in technology you've seen? in your time here. I'm guessing DNA is going to come up. <laughs> uh, well, DNA, but the databases that we have. Mm. DNA has a database which is, um, you know, convicted felons and uh, any number that get fed into the, into the database, their DNA profile. And so then when we get a, a sample, a question sample, and we don't have a suspect, we can feed it in there. And like the one I was talking about, Kalkaska, we got the hit. 17 years later, which that was the first he'd been fed in. He had a violation down in Indiana, mm -hmm. and that put his DNA then into CODIS. So the sample that we've been having set in there 17, for 17 years finally got a hit when this person. The same thing in Layton Prince. It used to be when we had a known suspect, 
we had to have a like a fingerprint card from them. You had to go, you know, collect the card and everything. Mm -hmm. With um, APHIS, that's the Automated Fingerprint Identification System, now they can feed a question print in, they trace it in, and they make it, you know, they can, it funnels through, how do I say that right? They yeah. can scan kind of cycles through. hundreds yeah. of thousands of uh, fingerprints that are in APHIS, and then it comes back and it gives them a hit. Mm -hmm. Now, on fingerprints, it may name three or four, or maybe even more, that have some points that are consistent. So now the link print examiner has to go through and look at these prints, but he's just screened through hundreds or thousands of prints, and then come down with now four or five suspects that he actually needs to, um, you know, and if I'm waving my hands too oh, you're much, fine. No, no. <laughs> But it's, so, it narrows it down to a much more select group yeah, of people that you can start looking so at. so many more knowns to compare a question to, and then it narrows it down to a few, and now we actually now mm -hmm. we actually have to physically compare them to each other. Where before, if we'd had to do that, it would take forever. You know. For so. you, how cool was that to watch? Um, Just all of the technology evolve over the years. Yeah. Oh, it's really cool. But um, it's like everything. When something new happens, you're really skeptical at first, mm -hmm. and you're saying, "Okay, is this really going to work or not?" And um, so you kind of watch it. But it is. It's been neat to see how much you can do um how much and that's what technology but then even in um doing our cases and everything when i started here 35 and a half years ago we hand wrote all our notes all our notes are handwritten you got your item of evidence you examined it you wrote down what you saw the test that you did and mm -hmm. everything else and then you gave what you had you roughly wrote your report gave it to the secretary she typed up your report and it was mailed to the agency now we are completely, completely paperless. Mm -hmm. When evidence comes in the front door, it's logged into our system. Um, Forensic Advantage is what our LIM system, Laboratory Information Management System, and it's logged in there. When it goes to the analyst, they bring it up on their computer. This is all the information, the worksheet, all the work they do. They're working just like at the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. They're typing everything on the little, you know, same thing now when we do a case, they're typing all the information in, nobody's handwriting anything. And uh, when it's all done, then it generates a report for them out of the information that they've put in, and then it automatically sends it to the agency that it's going to. So that is mind-boggling. Like I said, compared to back when I started, you wrote it out, then you, um, you know, the secretary typed it. There was a whole process, yeah. lengthier process, yeah, to exactly. doing something as simple as a report. Yeah. What are you gonna miss most about this job? That I work with. Um, the people that I work with and actually seeing, identifying bad people and getting them off the street. I mean, um, it's, it's, you know, like the whole lab as a whole, like I have, we have latent prints, firearms, uh, a drug unit, and a biology unit here. Mm -hmm. And each one of them has their own unique Kind of, it isn't like DNA is great, but it's not the only forensic tool that's out there. You know, we still have fingerprints that sometimes identify when DNA doesn't, mm -hmm. and we still have you know firearms um, in the drug unit. They're identifying the drugs and everything. So, it's um, it takes everything. It's a whole team, you know, to solve a crime, and it's um, it just feels good when forensics can help out and do something, um, you know, to help on an investigation. And that's what's been most satisfying over 35 years is when yeah. forensics is what yeah. makes it happen. It does. It does. How it just pulls things together and everything. So keeps it exciting. 
for someone who's curious, and I watch a lot of CSI, mm -hmm. and there might be other people out there who watch CSI and those other you know, yeah. crime lab spinoffs. Oh, I mean, how yeah. similar is it to, to what we see <laughs> we on those shows? on the stand <laughs> all the time, too. <laughs> that has killed us on the stand because they identify things that, you know, that what... Um, the first thing that's different is that we don't look that good at 2 o'clock in the morning in the homicide <laughs> scene. You know, they look like they just stepped off a magazine cover. Um, and they eliminate, or they don't show all the just down, dirty, tedious work that you have to do. But as far as the concept behind what they do, yeah, that's what we do. We solve. It may take us a few more instruments. We don't have one instrument that can mm -hmm. do fingerprints and tire tracks and, yep. you know, everything like they do. But, um you know, depending on the show, but if it's a real, you know, CSI show, a lot of them, you know, the actual lab work and everything, it's pretty, other than the fact, like I said, we don't look near <laughs> as good as they do, so. So what's the plan uh, with retirement? What are you looking forward to? Um, I don't know, just, uh, well, first thing, I have a great-granddaughter who turns a year old today, so nice. I'm spending more time with her. Um, my son and daughter-in-law bought paddle hard here in town. Okay. So they've had it for a year, but with COVID and everything, it's been crazy. So my husband and I end up helping in there. They're just mm -hmm. getting their feet on the ground. So, um, and I like, uh, I cater on the side. It's okay. It's kind of a hobby that I do. So this is kind of fun working in there. And um, then I plan on getting out of Michigan for at least a couple months in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> the worst of months of snow and whatever. But so, I don't know. I have enough to keep me busy. Mm -hmm. And um so, you know, take it a day at a time where the good Lord sends me yeah. where he wants to be. I'm chair of the outreach group at church, so it gives me more time to work with that and do mm -hmm. some of that. And so You'll still miss it here, though? I will. The work? I will. I'll miss the people and um, the, the stories, the cases that we solve. I mean, that's the whole backbone of this whole thing. There's a lot of... And I think with anything anymore, documentation is so huge. It's like the old cliche, if it weren't for the paperwork, we could get a lot of work done. And it's really in forensics. We have so much that we have to document and check and make sure you know everything is documented. And I mean, I think everything is seeing it more and more. And um, when it comes down to the real backbone of the people and the actual work that we do and the cases that we solve, or at least give some good investigative leads to so that... Um, you know, the agency can pull the whole case together, so. When you started here 35 years ago, did you picture you being in this position and even forensics evolving as much as it did? No, it was kind of funny at the time I started, like I said, I'd worked in um, hospital labs, but because we were kind of moving around at the time, the longest I had been at one lab was seven years. And so when I started here, I jokingly said, well, I'll probably be here seven years. That seems to be, you know, that seems to be our my move here. But um, 35 and a half years, I'm still here. Swander says she's looking forward to spending time with her family in retirement, but will miss the work of the crime lab. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved. Be sure to join us next month when we look into an unsolved mystery from northern Michigan. For 9 and 10 News, I'm David Lydon.